Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror and media. And tonight, what do cowboys, biblically accurate angels, and Fry's electronics all have in common? I don't know. Find out as we dive into Jordan Peele's third feature film, Nope. <laughs> okay. I'm Justine. <laughs> I'm Jonathan. <laughs> I, I love that people were speculating about why he called it Nope. And they were saying it was an acronym. It was like supposedly an acronym, an acronym for not of planet Earth. But okay. he confirmed that it's not that. It's, it's just it's, a whole lot of no. Well, it's a, it's the feeling, right? It's <laughs> yeah. it's the feeling. He, Black yeah. people know. <laughs> so so he commented on this. He had an interview where he was like, "I wanted people to feel like they would watch the movie." They would be in the scenario and that would be their answer to whatever was happening. And they'd be like, nope, not happening. (laughs) Not doing this. There's a great moment in the film where you see the exact representation of, nope, I'm going to mind my own business. Oh, my God. (laughs) Are you talking about? When he's in his car. Yeah. When he he looks out. (laughs) We'll talk about that, though. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That shit was wild. So, obviously, Jordan Peele's third film. He's been doing nothing but horror films. Yeah. If you don't know who Jordan Peele is and you've been living under a rock, <laughs> you would know him from Key and Peele, from yeah. Comedy Central, from all of his comedy bits, who then transferred into being a horror director, which is an interesting and change. he's a fabulous horror director. Yes. He's probably considered now to be like the contemporary in modern horror. Yeah. Along with people like Ari Aster and, and people who are making films like that. I honestly don't know anyone, any director right now that's making horror films like Jordan Peele is making horror films. Yeah. He seems to be kind of trailblazing a new genre of horror and he really keeps getting into niches uh, that people are really interested in. And he is really making movies for himself. Like, these are things that he's really interested in. He's really not cutting any corners to on him. You know, something that I really find interesting about his works, too, is that he seems to be focusing on kind of like suburban Americans. Mm. Um, yeah, I would even suburban go as black far. Americans. Yeah, I would go as far as to say that it's suburban gothic, yeah. which is like something that we had mostly in the 90s and like early right. 2000s with your mm-hmm. like suicide diaries and like types of films that came out during that time yeah so he's creating a sort of new suburban gothic that is mainly based around people of color Mm -hmm. which is kind of a new subgenre of that so it's kind of been an interesting ride to watch all of his films and how they are unfolding because he has these three films which are kind of similar like they exist within this world kind of creating this own universe almost yeah i mean any director I think any director who's really good usually does that. Well, some people had <laughs> speculated, too, that he might find a way to connect them. connect all the movies he's made so far. That'd be pretty cool. I'd be yeah. very down for something like that. I think somebody was saying that they're planning on doing a sequel for us. Oh, for us. Yeah. That would make sense because there's still a lot going on in that movie. And whatever the sequel would be would tie in the rest of the movies, which that's, is an interesting concept. They left it like on an apocalypse, basically. Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Which is also a creepy premise because the beginning talks about the empty underground tunnels all around the United States. Yeah, which do actually exist, but... You know, we've talked about this in a previous yeah, episode. Yeah, go actually. listen to the. We actually talked about both of his movies. Yeah. So, so go listen to the episode on uh, about Get Out and about us. If you couldn't tell, we like Jordan Peele. Oh yeah, I think he's easily become one of my favorites. <laughs> oh same. Like as far as modern directors go, yeah. he's like number one on my charts. Completely out of left field when he came yeah. out with Get Out. And I loved his comedy sketches too. Yeah, Key and Peele is probably one of like the top 
like iconic things you can find on Comedy Central. And I think it's an interesting departure going from comedy to horror, but it makes sense because I believe to be a good comedian, you have to understand people well. Yeah. And in order to make horror, you also have to understand people well. Yeah. What makes them tick? What are their fears? He's and talked how about can this. You play on those. He the way he explained it was that um, the two feelings that you get or that are illicit when you watch uh, horror films and when you watch comedy, uh, they're both sort of these uh, things you can't control. And the, whoever is sort of in charge of giving you this entertainment has control of that. So yeah. whenever you laugh and whenever you're scared, it's an involuntary thing. But often they go together. Sometimes you get scared and then you laugh. Right. So this is why you have sort of your dark comedy type stories. And his always include comedy. And I think it's because of his history yeah. in comedy and also his understanding of people. And you see a really good blend here in Nope. Yes, yeah, I think there was the good title enough, yeah. itself is kind of comical. <laughs> well, it's like a joke. I feel like only people of color are in, or especially yeah. black people. Like, And if you're familiar with black culture, then maybe you would understand. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> As in, I'm not going to spend time on that. I'm not going to give you the time of day for something so ridiculous like yeah. it's really an expression of like exasperation of just i'm not doing it it's very subtle apathy. <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> this is so this was created by him so he wrote it directed it produced it mm -hmm. under his own production company monkey paw productions and he has like an exclusive five-year contract with universal which is really cool nice. and so he's basically told them i'm gonna work for five years and create however many movies and they're gonna be the distribution and he's gonna be producing it under his monkey paw production so like a crazy deal to get and he got it right out the gate after get out was so successful they were like we gotta have more of Jordan Peele. So he agreed mm -hmm. to do this contract and he made this movie. Yeah. So I feel like now's a good time to get into production notes about this yes, movie. Yes, definitely. So, of course, it stars a few main people. It stars Daniel, um, I think it's Kaluuya, who we all know from Get Out. It's the main ca actor in that one. Black Panther as one of the side characters and leaders of one of the tribes. And he's also in Judas and the Black Messiah. And so he is uh, one of these actors that is probably um, connected now with Jordan Peele where he's going to keep calling on him because he has been able to create some really good performances with him. Um, he's noted in a lot of his interviews that he loves working with Jordan Peele because he understands where he's coming from. And, you know, he doesn't have to deal with a white director yeah. <laughs> who often will tell him to play up a certain stereotype in some way or another. Right. And so this changes a lot of things for him. And this actually applies to the film itself, like uh -huh. the history of black cinema. And we'll get into some of it as well. Um, it stars Kiki Palmer. Love her. Who people are now just kind of, I don't know, recognizing her. It's funny because when I was growing up, yeah. like Kiki Palmer was a big thing, but that's because she was kind of around like my age group as far Same. as like actors yeah. go. She's a few years older than I am She's but, 28, which is insane. Yeah, so she's only about three years older than yeah. I am. And so, yeah, she was a big actress when I was a kid. And that's kind of when her career really took off in television was the early 2000s. And she kind of fell off the map for a while, wasn't really doing a whole lot of TV. She was still doing TV, but she also focused on a music career for a little bit. Yeah, she was doing <laughs> music. I remember that was her thing. And then she did Broadway for a bit. Right? Yes, first uh, Black Cinderella on Broadway. Yeah. Very cool. She's gotten a lot of awards for that. And people are kind of ignoring the fact that being in a theatrical a play on Broadway is very prestigious. Oh, like, yeah. Like, that's hard to do. And it's funny, theater, I feel 
with a certain crowd gets a lot of respect, but from a general audience, it doesn't. But I mean, theater is much more of a like higher level of acting, I'd say, than even movies would be because with theater, there's only one take of a live audience. I feel like it has more honoraries. Mm -hmm. Like you could do several shows and then like even if you don't get an award, it's like you were on Broadway. Yeah. Like that's enough. And so people are very excited about that. But also just the accuracy of the performance yes. that you have to give. Because on a oh, set, yeah, you know, true. you have multiple takes to get a scene Can't right. Fuck up. But if you're on stage in front of an audience, you only have one take. So you better make it fucking yeah. good. I'm a fan of theatrically trained actors. They often mm-hmm. are very expressionistic and really fall into a category of actors that usually deliver a really strong performance in anything they're in uh tom hiddleston's one of my favorite theater to film actors yeah he's really good um it's crazy so like she has a lot of stuff she's received a primetime emmy award five naacp image awards um and nominations for daytime emmys and screen actors guild awards so she just like she has a lot of stuff and she's only 28 (laughs) so like the fact that people are now coming to recognize her people need to really recognize who they're talking about because she's been around and she's very good oh yeah she's an og <laughs> yeah there's steven yun who you know from the walking dead yeah uh <laughs> he's also been in a few other movies as some side characters but he is most notable for that um and then uh in his breakout role brandon Pereira, and he has a great backstory for how he got the role so he went and auditioned and he played this role completely different than what was expected he was supposed to be a very happy friendly go lucky fries employee uh-huh. but he played it opposite because who the fuck likes working in retail what was his character's name again um i would have to look at exactly what it, the character is i think it's angel something it's ironic that his name is angel yeah in the context of the film that's true and we'll talk more about it but he went to the audition and played a terrible fucking employee like he hated working there and he thought he wouldn't get a call back from Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele calls him back and is like, let's get on a Zoom call. I need to see if you can improv more of that character. And then he decided to rewrite the script for him because he loved that character play so much. Uh-huh. And being starred in a role like that, he's like, you're hired. He immediately starts crying on the Zoom call. And then Jordan <laughs> Peele starts crying on the Zoom call. Oh, God. And this is how they met and agreed to be in a movie together. And so he was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to bring you on. And then prior to that, the only other thing he had been in was the OA, which had got canceled in its second season. Yeah, which sucks. I remember watching the first season a few years ago, and I found it really striking. It was a really interesting show. Yeah. So it's a shame that it got con- it got canceled, but it was kind of a niche and obscure, so I get it. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting story I about him that. crying in the Zoom call. It makes sense. Also very cool that Jordan Peele is not putting casting off on someone else Mm -hmm. because that does tend to happen with larger directors. They will usually leave casting to um, certain casting directors. I think something that's really interesting about Jordan Peele is that he casts a lot of people that we haven't seen a whole lot of. Yeah, I mean, he pulled fucking Michael Wincott out of like basically an impromptu or what's the word? Uh, Kind of unplanned. Uh, vacation from acting that you had an accident in five years wow and he was like i need you to be in a movie and he was like yeah let's do it and shows up as this like really pretentious cinematographer which is great oh he has a great story. super deep gravelly voice too like you know who he is mm-hmm. um but yeah definitely he he's definitely been pulling on certain people that you will recognize or who he thinks will do really well yeah and he has an interesting blend in his cast because yeah. you do have these superstar roles we have pe- people like kiki palmer yeah 
Uh, what I really liked was that during a bunch of different interviews, he explains that the first time he's on screen with the brother and sister was the first time he actually met them. Mm-hmm. So it's why that scene is so awkward when you watch it. Uh, who is? Uh, when it was Kiki Palmer and Daniel, as well as the guy. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name already. Uh, Brandon. Brandon Pereira. Mm-hmm. He showed up on set. He said the whole thing was very cryptic. Like Jordan Peele didn't give him the script for a long time. He didn't tell him who he was going to be in the movie with. He didn't tell him anything about the story. Then just suddenly dropped the script on him, brought him on set and was like, okay, these are your actors who you're acting against. And then they had to form their friendship on set, which is why the later um, shots of them together feel more natural because they actually became friends. That's an interesting directing method because (laughs) you can definitely see that relationship play across in their on-screen relationship between each other. Because obviously they're meeting each other at Fry's Electronics. He's some random like sales associate who gets way too involved in their family I love that he's just into (laughs) conspiracy theories. And like this is like the shit we talk about and then of course he mentions like ancient aliens which is so funny to me because like everybody has seen that fucking history channel show uh i love it it's a cultural phenomenon um like i mentioned before uh michael wincott is in this and if you don't know who he is you'll recognize him for being just in a bunch of movies as either the main character or he's usually like an italian character because he's italian himself um you may also know him as the voice from treasure planet he's scroop the guy who comes in and just is like cabin boy (laughs) to to the main character. Uh He's known for his gravelly voice, which is why he's been put in so many things. Right. And then um, the legendary Keith David, who's not on screen enough for enough time for him to even have his credit roll. he was on for like the first few minutes and then he just gets taken out by a thing, a fucking quarter or something. Yeah, a quarter falls from the sky and lodges itself right in his head. Yeah, so let's and, get into yeah. like the plot of the film. Well, actually, first, uh, box office. Do we know what the box office was for this um, film? I did not. So I've so this is kind of interesting. I've kind of made a note to not mention it anymore. Yeah. And the reason why is because we don't really care <laughs> about yeah. whether or not it made money. Um, in this case, Jordan Peele, uh, it's very successful. This film has made a lot I of money. I mean, no doubt it's Jordan Peele. Of yeah. course, it's going to be successful. But I do agree. I feel like I'm not really focused on how much uh, money a movie makes because that can kind of be irrelevant to how the movie plays out in my own eyes. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's true. Uh, so... We can look it up and mention it real quick. I, if you I like. mean, I don't. I don't think we really need to. We no. already know that Jordan Peele right. made millions off of this yeah. movie, and good for him for yeah. that. The last thing I did want to mention, though, is that Jordan Peele's a huge nerd, and the creature is based off of the angels from Neon Genesis. Yeah. Evangelion. So, <laughs> so this creature in yes. the movie, uh, it's it was a really interesting creature reveal. It's essentially when it did come around, like, and I'm glad that it wasn't just like a, you see it once and you never yes. see it again. You actually do get to see this creature quite a bit. In the so film. I feel like we need to talk about this too. Maybe not right now, but a little bit later. He kind of breaks his own rule. Yeah, he's, he's mentioned before that some of the best type of thriller and terror is when you don't see the creature and you let your mind fill in the rest. But in this case, you get full on view of like a biblical angel type creature yeah like it's kind of a weird thing and even though he does break his rule i feel like it kind of works because not only does this creature continue to change shape as the movie progresses yeah but 
you also don't really know what the fuck you're looking at. <laughs> yeah, it like really fucks with you because you have sort of your preconceived notions of what a monster is supposed to be like. Also, yeah. you assume it's an alien. Yeah, and that there's people inside. It's like a UFO or some sort yeah. of spaceship at first, but then somehow we come to discover that it's a creature. It's a creature, it's a, it's yeah. a creature feature, which is really funny to me because you don't find out until way late in the movie. So one thing I thought was interesting about this is they brought up the phenomenon of uaps now <laughs> yeah if you're not hip with it ufos have been rebranded as uaps as to sort of um dissolve some of the stigma behind the word ufo you know as soon as you start bringing up ufos in a conversation everyone thinks you're crazy but i mean these things are very well documented and have been for decades and we simply cannot explain them by our own terms that we have currently well, so uaps have become sort of a, a, a workaround for that stigma we had the recent incident where the government basically confirmed that they had seen unidentified objects and didn't know what they were yeah and had actual video evidence from jet planes and i'm like if the military doesn't know yeah. what the fuck it is well, i don't think it's anything we're making yeah <laughs> so there's of course there's a lot of validity that's been added to well what the hell are they where are they coming from and Jordan Peele also wrote this during the pandemic when he was locked inside and wanted to give some of that anxiety about being outside and being afraid and putting it into the movie. This is mm -hmm. something that he really focused on. So the movie has a lot of biblical references. It yeah. starts with a quote. It says the, the film starts with, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile and make you a spectacle. It's from the book of Nahum, um, which is... Uh, part of the Jewish Hebrew Bible. So do you know what that specific verse is in reference to? Because I'm uh, not as familiar with the Bible. Well, so in this case, it's not in your um, it's not in your King James Bible. Yeah. So this is going to be a, a different. This is OG Bible. Well, kind of yeah, it's hard to because to, it's older. It's older, but it's not <laughs> like it's not like what the Catholics and the Christians usually use. Yeah. It's what you would have with Jewish families, Hebrew families, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, this particular prophet or whoever was writing it um he liked to write a lot of prophecies and sort of like doomsday things and so this was something love a good doomsday prophecy he's like he describes the falling of of assyria at some point and uh it was like really scarily accurate for a lot of people and so they were just like it was it was creepy to see such an accurate telling of a prophecy like that and so in a way including this at the beginning of the film it prophesizes what's going to happen, right? What's going to happen in this movie, and it's going to be this, a spectacle is going to happen, and it is a <laughs> largely a, a commentary on spectacle and how we feel about it in film. Mm -hmm. And so it's a good way to like start off the mood if you know what he's talking about. Otherwise, yeah. you're like, what the fuck is this quote? Yeah, because me, I was like, what the fuck is this quote? <laughs> this is ominous as shit. Um, I feel like, I think it talks about some literal, very literal themes, which is going to be, of course, the spectacle of watching people, but also about what happens to people when they're exploited, such as what happens to animals that are in cinema, what happens to black people in cinema, like black exploitation films that came out. And in this case, you have not only black people, but you have animals in starring yes. roles too, because yeah. our two main characters happen to own this horse ranch that yes. was famous way back in the day for supplying horses for Hollywood films. Yeah. In fact, I believe they said their grandfather was the first, or great-great-grandfather, or what the fuck ever, yeah. well, was the a, first black man <laughs> to be filmed, and he was a, on a horse. It's a really good tie-in to cinematic history and yeah. what had happened. The truth of it is that um, the family was made up for the movie, 
and that in fact we actually don't know the name of the jockey that was on that horse yeah for so the first motion this picture. is kind of a retelling of who that family yeah. might have been but we'll just assume for the sake of this movie that they are who they say they oh are. right yeah it's a great way to include the importance of the main character in the story and to really talk about what had happened in the history of cinema when you had this black jockey who was the first subject of the motion picture right. who didn't get credited Mm-hmm. And then you had the photographer who everyone's like, ah, yes, the modern father of cinema. But like right. he was only half of it. Right. But so to tie into your comment about the exploitation of both black folk and animals. Yeah. As far as uh, humanity and Hollywood goes. Oh, uh, yeah. you It's already connecting very closely. Yeah, definitely. Not only that, but this creature thing, uh, UFO uap thing i want to say it's like a flying predator type creature flying predator which is crazy to me (laughs) this airborne predator from another land um, was being offered horses essentially as sacrifice yeah so we have the one talking about um um from jupiter's claim yeah from jupiter's claim the one character uh i believe they were uh inferring at some point in the movie that this kid may have been raising this creature well he thought that he had sort of like tamed it yeah and the creature is called jean jacket which is hilarious um he thought he might be able to train it and that but it really what he was doing was giving offerings yeah and so he thought he he uh, he assumed that he had sort of formed a relationship but he was fucked up from from what had happened to him as a kid with yeah. the, with the with the chimp. So that's one scene that was never really fully explained in the movie, but I have kind of a theory as to what it was. Yeah. So this character was a child actor, and he was on a, a film uh, family sitcom right. where they had a pet monkey. And one day on the filming, the pet monkey just went crazy and actually started like murdering some of the people on just the set. Mauled them, which was gnarly. And the kid was like under the table watching all of this happen. Um, but there are some weird things, for example, that there were uh, balloons on the set and there was a moment where the balloons just unexplained, unexplained, like just started popping. Yeah, that's what scared him to start. And then um, there was a shoe that was like vertical, like yeah. it was balancing on its Staining tip for some straight reason. up. So just certain things that defy physics, defy logic. Right. And so it might have been that they were inferring that this creature found this kid a very young age and was somehow like i like that theory messing with the monkey that caused it to go crazy maybe it was living inside of the monkey i don't know there's been a lot of readings of what that could have been Mm -hmm. someone else proposed that um it may have just been the way that he remembered it and that it didn't actually happen that way and so it was considered like a a quote-unquote bad miracle where Uh he thinks that's how it happened so he remembers it that way and then because he survived such a terrible ordeal he thinks that he can survive interacting with jean jacket yeah exactly and it was kind of weird too because when he's reminiscing on this moment with the two main characters when they first uh show each other together on on camera yeah um he seemed almost in awe of that moment like oh when he sees the creature not when he sees the creature but just the destruction that the chimp was oh oh yeah i mean it was weird too because after all that had happened it reaches out to him yeah like as in like, oh, sorry, like trying to be friends. And it just gets shot. And I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, that scared the shit out of me in the it theater. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. So that'll just like definitely catch you off guard because it's sort of like an origin story for this character. 
um, and then explains like kind of what he's been doing out there. Yeah, so he's just honestly some traumatized ex-actor. Well, he became super obsessed with creating a spectacle of everything. Yeah, exactly. And so he creates Jupiter's Claim where people can go and hang out. And what's the biggest spectacle you can give people but giving them evidence of UAPs? Yeah, (laughs) and he was like, he literally brought people out and was like, you're going to find out about fucking aliens. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) there's a gnarly ass scene in the movie where he brings a horse out to be offered and it's one of the main characters horses um sadly enough but that horse gets away and he survives well that horse's name is lucky and he's a lucky ass <laughs> and horse man is that, that horse lucky all oh, the way through for sure yeah but anyways so he's he brings these people out to this like corral type yes. amphitheater and really it's like weird. you guys are gonna see a ufo it's gonna come here yeah. and take this horse and everyone's like oh sick this is so fucking cool i love the name brands that get dropped all around the film oh like yeah. uh icy mm-hmm. was had like a little machine in this little yeah. circle too they love putting their name on shit i know everywhere i mean they probably put some money into the movie for oh, that yeah. specific yeah, yeah. moment definitely but anyways <laughs> sorry name brands uh, it's relevant i'll tell i'll talk about it in a second yeah um so something goes wrong though at this yeah. spectacle well event. he assumes that it's gonna do it's gonna show up at the same time it's shown up every day yeah to eat a fucking horse uh-huh and it doesn't yeah, instead, it decides it's going to go on a rampage and sucks up the audience of people instead. And, oh, man, that scene is gnarly because not only do you see these people going into this creature getting sucked up into it, but being digested by it and then ultimately crushed. You you still don't understand at this point that it's a creature. Yeah. Like, you really don't get that until later on when the main character realizes that he should not look at it. Yeah. The same way you shouldn't look a horse in the eyes whenever you're training them, mm-hmm. which is a very old, like, superstitious thing about training horses that uh, if you do look at them, you, like, can't look away or else they're the ones who are going to be, like, dominant in that relationship. Interesting. So it's like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird training thing. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how did they come to that conclusion anyways? I think it actually was because he showed up to this event as the thing was like tearing apart Jupiter's claim. Yeah. And he figured out that as long as he doesn't look at it, it's not going to mess with him. Well, I think I want to say he remembers stuff his dad told him. Yeah. When he was younger because they've been horse trainers for a long time and his relationship to the horse. So, So there's been some interesting interpretations of what what do horses represent in the film how are they associated to hollywood and in this case steven young's character who owns super's claim had the sort of typical relationship that some directors might have with say a black actor where they feel like they sort of own this person that they have created this relationship where it's very beneficial to them but they don't have mutual respect no yeah it's their show pony they yeah. they bring them out on spectacle right. and on parade exactly. for everyone to enjoy and look at and awe and then put them away in a stable when they're not yeah. being used the crazy part is that this isn't very far off from oh yeah slavery where like yeah. this was a thing that happened in the united states where people were literally owned so like it's it's like this is the next part of it which is what happens in hollywood mm-hmm. is that they wanted to exploit certain actors yeah well slavery in america has evolved from where it was when it first started oh yeah of course it definitely still exists to many different degrees on one hand you can look at the prison industrial complex but on the other hand you can also look at some of the contracts that these entertainers have to undergo especially in hollywood i mean 
celebrities nowadays have rigorous schedules and uh, contracts that they have to abide by so much as where they're able to be seen, how they're being, you're able to appear. In many um, cases, they're not paid hourly. Yeah. They're like given one payment and then you have to complete the film Pretty no matter much. how many hours you work. Uh-huh. So it's like they'll work you to death. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they pretty much own you because they could sue you up the ass if you decide you yeah, want to break contract you don't and finish. not do something. So yeah, I mean, it's a different version of slavery, but still slavery nonetheless. Right. And I think that's one of the main parts of the story is that he's talking about Hollywood. And, and the fair to note too, the black perspective in Hollywood is much different from the white perspective. Right. Because even though both white and black folk have to undergo a sort of rigorous contract and detailed... Um, way of doing their lives um what is expected of black people is usually a lot more and they're given a lot less for the hard work that they do yeah i was gonna say this also ties into how people feel about exceptionalism and how a mediocre movie with a white dude might do just as good as an extraordinary movie with a black person in it and they often have to do much more work to be recognized for the awards and things like that oh absolutely yeah. and a mediocre black actor in a movie Never going to hear about them again. <laughs> but mediocre white man? Well, you oh, almost yeah, never hear, hear of them. mediocre black actors. They're exactly. all pretty good. Like, they're all pretty good. And they have to be. Yeah. But look at all of these mediocre ass nobodies in fucking Hollywood that are still yeah. on someone's payroll. I mean, just Keith David alone. Yeah. He's like in over 300 different productions. Like, it's insane how much work has been done. So, like, just to have them all in the same movie, I think, was Jordan Peele's way of saying fuck you to a lot of people including and how they cast it like mm -hmm. some dude turned down a role in his film to go do a scorsese film fuck scorsese <laughs> like fuck that so you know that i think this is definitely his way of doing what he wants with his own company and his own money and i think this is probably one of the biggest criticisms he got about the film was that people just didn't get it and so they were having a lot of trouble with what he was talking about which is some of these main things that we're talking about um so the, the film is, it is a spectacle. So like, what does it say about society and what we like to watch? Like, we love watching stuff like this. It's just different, right? This isn't like a Marvel spectacle type film. This is something else. I think what makes it different from a Marvel spectacle is it almost seems tangible. Like, this is something that could actually happen. Yeah, this is very close to like the stuff you've definitely encountered uh possibly either on your own or you talk to people about it and they're like what do you and it's wild too because we've reached a point as a society where we're collectively starting to be able to accept the fact that there are things that we cannot explain and yes. things that are potentially not of this world that still exist within this atmosphere yeah it, it also um brings to mind the sort of uh like the spectacle that most people like to watch, which is distracting. Mm -hmm. And so you can call back to, you know, uh, the gladiatorial games, yeah. things like that. Sports now, modern sports. But what I like about this kind of spectacle is it's a spectacle that still makes you think. Like it's yeah. not an empty sort of spectacle. Like, you know, Marvel movies have like a solid resolve and like the story ends when the movie ends. You know, yeah. you don't have to think too much about anything else after that. But this movie still has a lot of potential for more story you know yeah. there's more stuff to think about well yeah i mean as far as they're concerned th they don't know if it's the only one that yeah. exists around there exactly you know? they don't know where it came from where it comes from there apparently was a scene that explains the possibility of it of where it came from but it was removed for time oh wow so i would love to see a director's cut of something like that for sure it would be really cool 
So that leads me into, did you like the creature? Did you like the design? Was it scary? Because it scared the fuck out of me at first. And then I wasn't sure how to feel about it when I saw it. Yeah, at first, I feel like it was almost more frightening because it resembled something that was familiar, but was not the yeah. same thing. Yeah. You know, we've all seen flying saucer UFO type things in movies, and we have like kind of a certain expectancy for it. But to see a flying saucer UFO thing suck up a bunch of people, crush them to death, spit out their blood, and shoot all of their belongings like fucking sniper bullets. It, it removes a lot of the goofiness <laughs> of the yeah. UFO uh, abduction that um, you get. Yeah, but you're right. At, I, at the end, it was kind of an interesting... Um, perception of the creature at that point because right. it kind of had evolved like yeah into a creature had like tendrils and what seemed yeah. to be like wings dorsal fins i so, don't fucking know <laughs> i mentioned it earlier and jordan peele has mentioned in several interviews that a lot of horror movies break this sort of unspoken rule that if you show the creature at the end it removes a lot of the terror and horror from the film mm -hmm. the same way that say you watched insidious what insidious is amazing until you see the creature yeah because then he's just a dumb devil creature who's sharpening his claws in the fucking basement yeah. i mean they could have done way better on that creature design but whatever yeah it, it was amazing if i had only ever seen that flash of his face behind him oh, that yeah. would have been enough for sure but then it changes the film uh -huh. but he completely breaks that by showing this humongous creature and you know exactly what it looks like it's in broad daylight yeah so like it's hard to grapple with whether or not he wanted you to see it and why like what is the reasoning behind showing this creature spectacle and <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i think that's that was definitely something that sort of overruled the feeling of just like and also it gave you the feeling of when you saw it you don't want to deal with it well, so you had also mentioned something about it being representative of a biblically accurate angel. Yeah. And when I think of biblically, 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 <laughs> you know what? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Angels, any fucking way. Yeah. There's a lot of spectacle that comes with them. You right. know, you hear about the fanfare. They always the start trumpets, with a fear not. <laughs> the fucking fiery flaming swords and the fear not my child. Many well, eyes. It's like got a hundred eyes. Yeah. It's made of wheels and a thousand wings or what the fuck ever <laughs> they're all about spectacle and yeah. show and so yeah. this really plays into that this is a spectacle <laughs> yeah and i think i think he did well with it and um it didn't receive as many positive reviews as i thought it would but i think it's because a lot of people didn't know what to think about it yeah this is also jordan peele playing in his own sandbox with all of his own money so he can't really be mad at him. Like, this is what he wanted to do. And it's cool that he's able to have the room, the freedom to be able to make something like this and mm -hmm. to show people that it doesn't have to be your very typical story. And he can do pretty much whatever he wants at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still good. Like, this isn't a terrible movie to go watch. Is it as good as Get Out and Us? Probably not. I think Get Out is still probably his best one. I think as far as mystery goes, like this movie's definitely up there, but action is doesn't have as much as the other two movies right. did, I think. Yeah. And a lot of moments of suspense. It's more of a moment. The suspense is trying to figure out what you're even trying to figure out in the first place. That's what yeah, this movie what is. Yeah, what is it? Which is cool because yeah. you go along on the adventure with them. Exactly. You, you're with this crew, this conspiracy crew, as they set up the cameras and look into the sky and figure out what it is. Why is that cloud not moving? Yeah. <laughs> Which is creepy in itself. That is a very creepy thing. Yeah, I think you had mentioned before we started recording that that was one of the things Jordan Peele had cited when yeah. he was 
talking about inspiration for his movies is he's his got own, this bit of terror <laughs> yeah his own personal experiences and how he's seen clouds simply not move yeah which i've definitely seen that before i've also seen clouds pass behind stars at least what i thought was a star oh yeah i've seen that too there's a whole like you can look up there's a conspiracy about it being yeah. certain things yeah it's it's cool um but no i think it's a really interesting um way to go about writing is to bring in your own fears yeah and i have definitely seen some weird shit in clouds before clouds are fucking weird bro we don't know what's up there they're well, big curtains we also what's know what's behind the curtain i'm sorry <laughs> yeah well we now know that clouds can also be artificially made yeah like, like the government can control the weather <laughs> and if the government can control the weather i promise you a ufo sorry yeah. uap can definitely make a little cloud around them so you can't see what's going on yeah which is what it does it like hides in a cloud which is hilarious to me because it's very comical and not to put my conspiracy hat on but if the government <laughs> were to have hat. conversation or say contact with these uaps and be like hey can you stop freaking out people by flying all over the place can you like disguise yourself and they're like all right bet let me make a cloud around myself <laughs> it feels like when somebody grabs like a branch with some leaves and they just yeah. they put it up in front like, of themselves. Nothing suspicious. Don't worry here. about it. Don't worry about but it. But then they just remain there yeah. for like hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then favorite scenes. Okay. A lot goes on. So we had talked about this uh, towards the beginning of yeah. this recording. Is the most nope scene uh, in nope. <laughs> yes. So um, they're at the ranch and the two main characters are yeah. confronting this um creature alien angel thing it's pissed too like it's, it's like above pissed the house. and this guy like managed to avoid it and he's out in his car and he can't see it anywhere but he knows that it's close he knows it's right above him <laughs> and he opens his door and looks ever so slightly yeah. out to peek and just sees its giant gaping mouth right above him and he so calmly just closed the door minded his own business and just sat back I think he inside. actually says it. I think he actually says no. He nope. fucking says no. Nope. Yeah. And let me tell you, that it's was great. my favorite moment, especially in the theater, because everyone lost it. They yeah. were like, yeah, yeah, Fuck no. <laughs> I wouldn't deal with it either. Not to mention that like it spits out the guts and remaining stuff of everybody it ate prior. Yeah, like all, all over, over the house. The house uh, which is gnarly because it's raining and then it starts raining blood. Yeah. So metal. <laughs> I would have liked some metal during that scene. I know. I wish they were playing Slayer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might as well. It's a, it's a you know, you if you want to evoke. It would be fitting, but I don't know how rights to get that song would work, but you know, whatever. I don't know much about Slayer and how nice they are about letting their music i don't know i feel like they're kind of douchebags yeah they might be i wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised either (laughs) great music but they give me douchebag vibes oh man um my man that's a good one actually that's a really good scene um i like when they come up with their plan on how they can capture the the creature on film and then they bring in the cinematographer who's hilarious because he's like, they're making fun of the cinematographer artist types who are like, I have to, I've been chasing the perfect scene my whole life. Yeah, and I have to get it. I would die for yeah, my art. Exactly. And he's very like, he's the pompous person who is like, <laughs> I'm going to die for this. And then dies getting the perfect shot. Sorry, spoiler alert. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I mean, you should know by now. Yeah. Watch the fucking movie before you listen to us talk about it. 
it's great because he gets sucked in dies and he runs off he even designs his own camera that doesn't use electricity it's like a crank fucking camera that he captures everything with it was just great also the use of the inflatable uh, i don't know what to call that was a really smart way to incorporate that so um this thing oftentimes is like invisible it's high enough into the atmosphere that you can't see it but it still gives off like somewhat of an electromagnetic wave similar to an emp and so anything in like directly underneath it or around it will lose electrical power and so they set up like probably hundreds of these inflatable dancing men <laughs> all over their property. Kind of stuff you see on like sales for parking yeah, lots and to cars. to see where it was. So they know like if one of them stopped dancing, yeah. then the thing was over there. I'm glad that all the characters were smart. Yeah. Like they were was, all very crafty. There was no comic relief in this movie. And if it was any, it was the Fry's guy but he was smart too. He knew yeah, how to set everything up. Yeah, he was smart too. He's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned earlier that his name was Angel, which I think ties into this story very interestingly because, you know, we're dealing with what some might believe to be a biblical angel. And here comes Angel. It's kind of like their guardian angel because not only does he set <laughs> them up with like surveillance that's, cameras. Oh, that's an interesting call on that. Yeah. Whether or not, like, who are they to them? Well, not only does he set them up with all the equipment, he stays with them throughout the whole process. And in some cases, has actually saved them by coming to their aid. Right. And so he was like their guardian angel uh, throughout it's this It's Angel movie. Taurus. Yeah. Um, sorry, I know we didn't, we totally, like, did not say the names. Yeah. But it's, it's just because I didn't put it in my notes. But uh, it was Otis Jr. Haywood, who was the main character. Uh, Esmer, what? Emerald, sorry, Emerald Haywood as Otis's daughter, and then Ricky Jupe Park, who's the person who owns Jupiter's Claim, and then Brandon Pereira as Angel Taurus. Mm-hmm. So these are the the main characters, four main characters. Yeah, sorry, we should have said that like <laughs> twenty minutes ago, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, there's not a lot of people in it. It's really just them four. And what's cool is that they shoot this um, in a ranch out like right outside L.A. Yeah, because well, to start L.A. was a desert. Mm-hmm. before like anything even happens like i mean until it still technically is a desert it's just very well hydrated right in most cases there's a great uh conspiracy about well it's not a conspiracy it's more like um what's the word like a capitalistic endeavor to oh, yeah. get water into the city to make los angeles that's important. kind of a wild story yeah. is sort of the water wars that were going on and what was it like the 1920s 1930s yeah they redirected water to los angeles but away from agricultural crops and farmers yeah, and these farmers were also um indigenous and uh, hispanic people that had lived there for long before anyone decided they were going to settle los angeles and so they pretty much bled all of these areas drive their water and in one case actually destroyed quite a bit of land from one of their levees breaking yeah just uh, there's a there's a great movie about it there's a really good documentary about it you can also watch Chinatown. <laughs> Chinatown literally has that as its main plot. Yeah. Man, Chinatown is such a good movie. Uh, <laughs> we should talk about it. It's what, Yeah, I mean. It doesn't necessarily fit our horror sci-fi no, genre. But it's a but great, like, it's it's a great a noir film. Yeah. yeah. We should do like a noir month. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> planning we, for the future. Yeah. So rating then. 
Uh, I don't know, honestly. Yeah. Like, I want to give this a high rating because I just had a lot of fun watching it. It was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, maybe it was because I was in the theater, but I always have fun watching Jordan Peele movies. Same. There's never, like, a dull moment. Even the moments that are slower aren't uninteresting or feel like they shouldn't be there. Everything feels very purposeful. But I still want to give this maybe, like, an 8 just because... I don't know. I I guess I wanted more lore. Like, I feel like this movie is perfect enough as it is. And if there's a sequel, then, like, this movie is going to be a 10 for me. But there was so many unexplained things. Yeah, there's quite a lot that's unexplained. Like, the whole scene with the monkey, and that was completely unexplained. Um, Where this creature came from. I mean, I guess there was a scene made for it, but it was cut out. Yeah. And just some general lore things. Maybe I'm being picky, but it's honestly such a great movie. I'm sorry. Did you actually say a number? I said eight. Eight. Okay. I missed it. <laughs> Somewhere in the explanation, I missed it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it an eight as well. Uh-huh. I'm not giving it more because as much as I love Jordan Peele, I don't like when directors break rules that they've just said in an interview because like he's right. I think if he had gone a different direction, but then it would have changed the movie. So I can't be that picky because I if he had not shown the creature it would have made it would have remained sort of a more mysterious movie and not quite so much a spectacle which is what he wanted out of the film so it makes sense to do something like that um also the ending to me i want it more out of it like i get that him and like the brother and sister survive but like you still have the you know the 40 people that are missing the cops show up they don't yeah. know what just happened. Yeah. What's going to happen to the main characters? Not to mention their house is literally covered with blood yeah. and the belongings of these missing people. Yeah. So a lot of unresolved stuff, which I think was on purpose. And also two other people died on their property, the filmmaker oh, and then the random right. TMZ yeah. person, which we didn't even mention. Um, yeah. When, fuck that guy. <laughs> when the news caught wind of all <sighs> those people disappearing at Jupiter's yeah. claim, of course, the fucking paparazzi are all over that yeah. shit. And some random TMZ dude rolls up on their property as they're like trying to chase this fucking creature. And the guy got got by the fucking creature, of course. Anyways, I just had to throw that in there because it's a great scene. Yeah, it is a really good scene. It's definitely worth the watch in theaters. So still out in theaters now. So go and watch it. Yeah, go fucking watch it. It's so good. Want to hear more about Jordan Peele's work? Listen to us and the Get Out episode that we've talked about we did them a little while ago like i think pretty much when they came out yeah um, so you'll have to go a few years back into our catalog <laughs> you could just search it up yeah. um once you're in spotify or whatever streaming service that you're on um so before we go super easy to find us just google bringing down the grindhouse you can find us on instagram find us on twitter you can also find us pretty much anywhere that we stream podcasts you're able to listen to it you can download it listen to it we've got our um money making sort of things <laughs> with patreon if you want to support us it's two dollars yeah. a month helps us keep the podcast running and you can also put in some suggestions for movies that we might do in the future we also have our merchandise so we've got the uh hats the shirts all on the teespring you can go to the links that we have on our social media sites they'll take you directly to these stores and you can buy one and have it shipped to you hell yeah <laughs> do you have anything else um Check out our Discord. Come yes. join our little community. Tell us about your favorite movies. Tell us about your favorite video games. 
tell us about your favorite song that you heard this week just hang out with us chat with us we got a cute little community going on um you can find our discord at our link tree which is in the bio of all of our social medias and yeah i think that's pretty much it also twitch i think we mentioned twitch Yes, uh, we are trying to record at least one of the episodes live. Yeah, we've been doing a little bit of a readjusting as we're having to take on the workload of both Mitchell as they are off doing their own projects right now. So (laughs) we're reestablishing a lot of the things of the podcast. So we apologize if our uploads have been a little like spotty here and there. (laughs) But we're going to get back to it. We're going to get back to our Twitch streams and we hope to see all of you guys there yeah definitely and if you can leave a review on apple Podcasts, yeah as well as any other place that allows for the reviews it really spotify allows you to do a review now it helps boost us so much definitely it puts us up in front of a, a lot of people to be able to listen to it uh, and then uh, as it stands now every episode that's out we have no commercials <laughs> yeah this is an hour almost an hour of just uninterrupted podcast so it means a lot to us when you finish it out and you listen to the whole thing and talk to us and request some new things as we look for sponsorship and partnership. But that's and if it. you are a sponsor or partner, hit us up. <laughs> Slide in those DMs. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just me. And I'm Jonathan. Thank you so much. We love you. Love you. Mm-hmm.